Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by RWJ Barnabas Health. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. Here when you need us most. Now and always. Wells Fargo. PSENG. Committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. Summit Health. A provider of primary, specialty, and urgent care. Johnson & Johnson, NJM Insurance Group, serving New Jersey's drivers, homeowners, and business owners for more than 100 years. The New Jersey Board of Public Utilities Clean Energy Program. And by ADP. Promotional support provided by Jaffe Communications, supporting innovators and changemakers with public relations and creative services. And by AM970, The Answer. Steve Adubato here, Nicole Swinerton, our co-anchor and executive producer of Think Tank. Hey, Think Tank has two compelling interviews featuring two great authors, right? Which one is this? First off, we're joined by Ellie Honig, who wrote Hatchet Man. He's also a CNN senior legal analyst and a Rutgers University scholar. Who's the hatchet man here? That's Bill Barr, attorney general, former attorney general. He talks oh, all about- Former attorney general. Yep, yep, yep. And this is a good one. Then we're joined by Barbara Ress, author of Tower of Lies, what my 18 years of working with Donald Trump reveals about him. And she's a former uh, executive vice president of the Trump Organization. Okay, uh, do the Barbara Ress one first. Your biggest takeaway from that interview. It's fascinating to hear from somebody who was so close to Trump, not just in a personal way, but professional way. She was one of the main people working on the Trump Tower. So she was, you know, taking orders from him as a business person and uh, learning how to work from him in that setting. So I think that hearing about her experience um, telling us what he used to be like, how he's changed over the years and what he's like as president now is really fascinating. And when you write the book on working with me, it, I heard the rumor that it would be called what an amazing leader Steve Adubato is, or was that just a dream I had? Well, I can at least say that I wouldn't call it either Hatchet Man or Tower of Lies. Those are a little harsh. <laughs> wow, the bar is pretty low. Let me just say that. Biggest, uh, before we do the funders, biggest takeaway from Hatchet Man, Bill Barr, former attorney general. It's, it's really fascinating just to hear about what the role of the attorney general is supposed to be. And then to hear Ellie explain what Bill Barr did to really bring that office down to a different level. Yeah, and by the way, as I said, or I say all the time, we'll find other folks who have written great books about Bill Barr and great books or books about how great Donald Trump was. Who are our funders on Think Tank right here on News 12 Plus? We would love to thank RWJ Barnabas Health, Wells Fargo Foundation, Summit Health, and NJM Insurance Group. And like I always uh, say, this is Think Tank. I'm very grateful that I'm still here. That's me and my daughter when we went to celebrate our first anniversary. With a new kidney, I have strength. They gave me a new lease on life. 
I'm still going everywhere and exploring new places. Nobody thought I was going to be here. Nobody. Now I look forward to getting older with my wife. That's possible now. We're transforming lives through innovative kidney treatments, living donor programs, and world-renowned care at two of New Jersey's premier hospitals. They gave me my normal life back. It's a blessing. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. This is a program you're not going to want to miss. Everyone says that in broadcasting, but this is when um, I really mean it. We're honored to be joined by Ellie Honig, who is a senior legal analyst at CNN, former federal and state prosecutor and author of a really compelling book called Hatchet Man, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the United States Justice Department. Ellie, good to see you, my friend. Thanks for having me, Steve. Ellie, let's get right into it. It, it. This is not a book you put down easily, especially as you start reading your analysis of Bill Barr. What is the prosecutor's code that he broke, and how badly did he break it? So the prosecutor's code, Steve, is, is all those things, the unwritten rules that you learn as a prosecutor, and I, that I argue in the book, you can only learn from actually doing the job in the trenches like I did in Manhattan and in New Jersey. Now, Bill Barr, interesting fact about him, he's one of two people in our history who was ever attorney general of the United States twice. His first tenure was 1991 to 93 under George H.W. Bush, and of course, then under, under Donald Trump. However, Bill Barr never prosecuted, never tried a single criminal case in court. And so what I do throughout the book is I contrast my experiences as a real prosecutor and the things I learned, the hard-earned lessons from the courtroom, from judges, from defense lawyers, each one of them sort of amplifies a principle that you have to learn, the unwritten rule, the prosecutor's code, which Bill Barr shattered during his tenure as attorney general. So I want to read this section. Um, uh, Bill Barr's unprecedented abuse of power as attorney general, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He broke the prosecutor's code. Bill Barr's self-image rehab tour has begun. Don't buy it, says Ellie Honig. Barr tells tales of denying the big lie after the election of 2020, but omits that he aggressively promoted that lie in the crucial months before the election. What does the attorney general have to do with the big lie quote, unquote, the big lie of the 2020 election? It's a good question, Steve. He should have had nothing to do with it, and he is on an image rehab tour. This is a big reason why I wrote the book, because I believe history needs to be told. So Bill Barr has been reminding us, he's doing these sort of one-sided interviews lately, where he's reminding us that in December of 2020, he came out and said publicly there's no evidence of election fraud. He did. Yes, he, yes, he did. I mentioned that in the book. I give him credit for that in the book. This is three weeks after the election, however. What he fails to mention in it during his rehab tour, and what I mention in the book, is that for about six months leading up to the election, when the big lie was being created by Donald Trump and spread, Bill Barr was one of the main people fanning those flames. He went on national TV, he went on national radio, he went in front of Congress, and he said there's this massive threat of election fraud, foreign ballots, counterfeit ballots, things we can't possibly police. And every time when he was asked for evidence, he said, well, I don't have any, but it's common sense, it's something I know. And by the way, several times, DOJ or the station that put him on had to issue corrections after the fact because he was spreading falsehoods. To what end? To what end? And by the way, Donald Trump is not particularly um, positive about the, in terms of the, after everything you just said, Ellie, Donald Trump, former President Trump, doesn't say nice things about Bill Barr. So to what end? He's not even on the end with the former president. 
yeah, they did split at the very end. So I think Bill Barr's motivations, I, I think, changed. I think initially he was hoping and trying to help Donald Trump get reelected. And he has said publicly before the election that he was hoping to serve a second term. Bill Barr clung very tightly to the attorney general's position because he is a legal extremist. He believes the president should be basically above the law entirely. And I talk about that in the book. And Bill Barr was driven by a deep-seated religious incentive, religious motivation. Now, there's nothing wrong with being religious. However, Bill Barr tried to bring that religiosity, what he calls God's law, to the attorney general's position, to our general public. Now, when the election came, when it was over, when it was clear to any right-minded individual, certainly Bill Barr is a sane, rational, smart person, that it was over, Bill Barr at that point made a conscious decision. I'm going to try to rescue my reputation. I don't want to be lumped in with the true loonies, the Rudy Giuliani's, the Sidney Powell's, the Jenna Ellis's. And so we had this partial turn on Trump at that point. Let me ask you something. Do you think that Again, there are some people who are confused and think that the attorney general is the president's lawyer. He is not. She is not. Correct? Correct, Steve. Decidedly not. When the attorney general gets sworn in, he or she does not swear to represent the president, but to represent the, to protect the people of the United States and the U.S. Constitution. And that is sort of my fundamental critique of Bill Barr. To what degree do you find that the respective judici judiciary committees in the House and the Senate give a darn about what you're saying right now as the oversight body for not just the president, but for the attorney general, the yeah, executive so I, branch of government. Yeah, I, look, I think Congress has a real job to do here. I'm fairly critical of Congress in the book. I argue Congress failed to do its job to follow up on, for example, the Mueller report. I, I was just going to ask you about the Mueller report yeah. and, 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 and Bill Barber. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, I think that I want Congress to understand its role. I want DOJ to get back to the basic principles of its role, that they don't represent the president, that you have to tell the truth, something Bill Barr frequently did not do. I want the general public to understand how abnormal and how destructive Bill Barr's tenure was. You know, let's stay on the rule of law. And this, again, we try to separate our, our interviews, but on the second half of this program, we interviewed Barbara Ress, who worked for 18 years um, with Donald Trump, for and with Donald Trump on the construction and development side. She's a quote in the book where she said, he basically, there was no law he wasn't willing to break. Um, if that's true, even remotely true, that the rule of law meant nothing to him, means nothing to him, then what would that say about his attorney general's role working for someone for whom the rule of law not only has no place, but I won my rules? Uh, I'll, I'll take it a step further. Not only did that apparently have no resonance for Bill Barr, but Bill Barr enabled and protected Donald Trump in what I argue are dishonest and counter to the law ways. I mean, start with the Mueller report, right? I argue in the book, Bill Barr single-handedly enabled Donald Trump to escape the consequences How? of the How? Mueller report by lying to us about it. So let me give a timeline here. Bill Barr is the first person essentially outside of Mueller's team to get the Mueller report. He gets it on a Friday. Two days later, on a Sunday, Bill Barr issues his infamous four-page letter in which he essentially declares Donald Trump free and clear altogether. Now, here's the thing people may not remember that I point out in the book. Bill Barr then held on to the Mueller report, kept it away from the public, kept it away from Congress for 27 days. And during that crucial month, all we had, all the public had, was Bill Barr's slanted report, where Bill Barr says he leaves out all the bad stuff for Donald Trump and gives us only the good stuff. He declares Donald Trump did not 
commit obstruction of justice, contrary to my view and the view of over 2,000 other prosecutors who've since signed a letter saying so. So Bill Barr was not only dishonest, and by the way, don't just take it from me, Robert Mueller wrote Bill Barr a letter complaining about the way he characterized the report. Various federal judges have said Bill Barr was dishonest in the way he handled the report. Not only was he dishonest, he was manipulative in the way he withheld it from us all. Let me ask you something, Ellie. There are going to people who there are going to be some people who watch this program and also the second half with Barbara Rezzo say, Arabato's doing a program that just bashes Donald Trump, that bashes those who are connected to Donald Trump, like Bill Barr. Where's the value in that? That's quote left wing fake news, et cetera, et cetera. We're public broadcasting. We have no horse in the race. Um, if there's someone who writes a book out there that talks about what a great president Donald Trump was, what a great attorney general Bill Barr was, and does it in a substantive way. We look forward to that conversation. Here's the long-winded point to that question. Do you have an ax to grind? Do you have a point of view? Or is it the rule of law and the Department of Justice and its sense of integrity moving forward? The, the only thing I'm a purist on, Steve, is, is the role of the prosecutor. I don't care about left or right, Democrats or Republicans. And, and I can prove it, by the way, that I had no ax to grind with Bill Barr. I quote myself in the book because it just so happened the day Bill Barr's name was announced as the person Donald Trump would be nominating as attorney general, I was sitting there on set at CNN and they got my earpiece and said, can you give us a comment on that? They gave me a couple minutes. I looked him up. I knew who he was because he had been AG in the past. And I just sort of did some research. And I said on air, I asked a producer to pull my quote, so I had it exactly. But I said something like, he's serious, he's respected, he looks like a strong pick. I put that in there because I think it's important for people to know. I gave him the benefit of the doubt and then some. And by the way, a day or two later, it came out that he had written this, what I call the audition memo, where he on his own wrote a 20-page letter and sent it into DOJ saying that Robert Mueller's investigation was, quote, fatally misconceived. At that point, I started to have some concerns, I think rightly so. But no, I don't have it out for Bill Barr whatsoever. He earned this with his own conduct. Yeah, by the way, this is the book, Hatchet Man. Uh, real quick, um, as a former, as a grad, you're not a former anything. You're, you're an, I'm an alum of the Eagleton Institute of Politics at Rutgers University. You have a connection to the Institute and, and our good friend John Farmer, the director there. What is it? Uh, so I, well, first of all, I am an Eagleton undergrad uh, associate. I was back in the 90s when I graduated from Rutgers. It was a thrill to do it. And it's great to go back to the mansion. Now, I'm now a faculty associate. But the mansion Eagleton is a, let's just say the Woodlawn yes. campus is gorgeous. Let's just it, say that. It is a beautiful old mansion, and it is a. Th it was a thrill to walk in there the first time. I since have given speeches and and done programs with them, and I'm teaching. Not not to put an ad in, but it's our public university. I'm teaching a course there in the spring at Eagleton on politics and prosecution, which should not mix. That's the bottom line. But yeah, so I'm an Eagleton guy, just like you, Steve. Yeah. Before I let you go, how can mm, I'm going to ask this the right way? Are you optimistic for the Department of Justice to regain what its appropriate role is in our very delicate um, federal government and its independence? I am optimistic, Steve, because I worked there for equal time under Republican and Democrat administrations before Bill Barr was ever there. I know that what really drives DOJ is the thousands of women and men who are prosecutors and investigators and victim service specialists who put their heads down and do their job. Bill Barr did enormous damage to DOJ, but DOJ is too resilient and they will be back. Ellie Honick is the uh, author of Hatchet Man, how Bill Barr 
uh, broke the prosecutor's code and corrupted the Department of Justice. And you can catch him on CNN, and he's down there with our good friends at the Eagleton Institute. Ellie, all the best. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. Stay with us. We'll be right back. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. I'm very grateful that I'm still here. That's me and my daughter when we went to celebrate our first anniversary. With a new kidney, I have strength. They gave me a new lease on life. I'm still going everywhere and exploring new places. Nobody thought I was going to be here. Nobody. And I look forward to getting older with my wife. That's possible now. We're transforming lives through innovative kidney treatments, living donor programs, and world-renowned care at two of New Jersey's premier hospitals. They gave me my normal life back. It's a blessing. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. We are now joined by Barbara Ress, who is the author of a compelling book called Tower of Lies, What My 18 Years of Working with Donald Trump Reveals About Him. Barbara, so good to have you with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. You worked 18 years with Donald Trump, uh, former President Donald Trump, from when to when? Uh, I worked from um, 78 to 80 as a member of the construction team for uh, HRH Construction. And then I worked from Trump from 80 to 84, and then from 87 to 91, and then from 91 to 98 as a consultant. But you were in a lead position uh, as it connects, uh, relates to Trump Tower. You're one of the key players in the development there, right? I was in charge of the construction of Trump Talent. I was a big pink. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a student of leadership. I'm fascinated by leadership traits. And I'm, listen, you don't have to go very far in the book. Do you mind if I read just a little section right on the inside sleeve? It got my attention. I'm, I'm a big fan of taking ownership for mistakes, most of which I make here on the show. Um, this is a quote in the book. Quote, you're making me look bad. This is President Trump talking to you at the time. Um, you're making me look bad with all this cheap SH, you know, the rest. Trump screamed, his face beat red with his lips white. Who told you to buy this? This is you now. I showed it to you with all the other marble, and you picked this one. I said, it was the cheapest, and it's what you said to you, so don't blame me. And then you say, I've never seen such anger and hatred in his face. For a moment, I believed he might hit me, and I was ready to just go down. Um, was Donald Trump the kind of leader who took responsibility for himself, his actions and his mistakes? Absolutely not. Never. What do you mean never? Of course. <laughs> what do you mean never? <laughs> Whenever something went wrong, the very first thing he did was try to figure out who to blame. And then, you know, we deal with what, what happened. And would there be pushback? I'm a big fan of, uh, we do a show called Lessons in Leadership uh, on another network, and we're, I'm a big fan of getting honest feedback, constructive feedback. Trust me, my team doesn't hold back telling me when I screw up, how I've screwed up, and I better not screw up again. W what was the culture around then developer Donald Trump? Way back, back in the 80s, 
Um, he had good people, really good people, uh, myself included, uh, but some very strong people and they were smart and he listened to them, he listened to us and he yelled and everything else. But a lot of times when you had an idea that, that was the right thing, but you needed to get him to buy into it, you would try to uh, work him into thinking it was his idea somehow, uh, or you would flatter him or whatever you did, you did what it took to get it, to get it done. But he did listen to people and he did change mind. But you also wrote in the book, and you've said publicly, I've seen you on other networks, and you've said he's, quote, changed significantly as a person and as a leader over these many years. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, it's just the word changes implies that he's totally different, and he's not different. That's the point of my book, is that that is what uh, the initial Trump was, and then you watch him develop over my book, and then over time. But the changes are he let it, everything go to his head. He, the first thing, the big change I said was that he used to listen to people and pay attention, architects, engineers, me, uh, lawyers. And now he does not do that, clearly. He, he, I mean, he'll listen to somebody like Sean Hannity or, uh, or Rudy Giuliani, which is, you know, insane. But, I mean, he doesn't really, he thinks he knows everything. He has repeated it a hundred times, and a more than generals, I know more than the scientists, I know more than the doctors, and he does really think so. So he doesn't listen to anyone. So in that, he has changed. Uh, he's gotten more um, vicious, I think, although he was pretty vicious when I was with him. But things like, I mean, way back in 2016, when he made that horrible remark on, um, on television about women uh, and assaulting them, I, I was surprised at that. I didn't think he had that in him. What about mocking the reporter? What about mocking the reporter who had a physical disability on camera and then said I wasn't really doing that? Did that surprise you? Uh, it didn't surprise me that he did it. Um, no, no, it didn't surprise me that he would deny it. Absolutely not. I mean, he used to make fun of people all the time. That was his big thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, in one of the new books, uh, he talks about somebody and he calls him Fat Tony. And we had someone in the, um, that we worked with in the government that Donald called the Fat F. And that was the name he had. He, he didn't like fat people. He feared them. He just, he was just turned off by them. So he was kind of mean like that. Okay, let me, let me try this. Um, and by the way, there's a new book out uh, as we do this program on the 20th of July called I Alone Can Do This. And Phil Rucker from the Washington Post and his colleague wrote it. And we're going to be bringing them in. I Alone Can Do This. It's about Donald Trump. Um, and again, this is not here to, to vilify President Trump. This is to try to, former President Trump, try to understand from someone who worked closely with him the way he thinks. So as president, when you were watching what was happening, particularly during the virus, when he's in a public press conference and he turns to Dr. Burks and says, you know, you can shoot the disinfectant under the arm. And what were you thinking in that moment? Well, I, it was it was familiar, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, he would get a ridiculous idea and he would put it forth as if it were, you know, a good idea or he'd make a statement that was not true and put it forth as it was true. And if he could find a flunky and he found Burks, with all due respect, she was a flunky back then, uh, to, to, you know, go along with him or not to correct him. Oh, you're insane, Donald, you can't do that. Doesn't surprise me at all. It's just, you know, having people think, oh, Trump's got the answers, even though they're not the answers. What redeeming qualities does he have? I, I, I think, um, how about empathy? Empathy? Yeah, why, why are you making a face when I say empathy? Compassion, caring for others. 
You know, I, in my book, I talk about uh, a, some a time when he actually showed uh, kind of uh, compassion, and it was it was very rare. But I think that's completely gone. I don't think he has sympathy for anything or anyone. How do you believe, as president, over those four years, the leadership style, the personality, and the way it manifests itself? Take policy out of it again, as a leader. How do you believe it has affected our nation and the presidency? Well, you know, I would love to say he's a terrible leader, and I, and I do believe that in many ways, but he has got his base. And I think that the way he did that was not honestly. I think it was by um, firing up people and getting what they, get, getting, letting them be what they are, which is racist and xenophobes and things like that. By the way, do, do the honesty thing. Um, he accuses others, fake news, you're a liar. Um, you've said in your book that he lied compulsively, consistently. You know, we used to joke about him lying about the time for practice. What do you mean? He lied. I mean, it was almost like he didn't have to lie. He would lie about anything at all. It didn't make a difference. You know, some things were innocuous. You know, we saw a lot about how many books he, uh, how many rather uh, apartments he sold or something like that. But he would lie about things that didn't matter at all. I mean, it would make gain nothing for him. It was just, you know, it was like it was an He couldn't resist it. He had to come out and lie. But he lied about very, very important things. Let me ask you this. There are a lot of friends I have, uh, a lot. And I don't mean a few. I mean, a lot of friends watching right now who have said to me, you know, I love Donald Trump. I love he just says what's on his mind and um, he speaks, quote, for us. I mean, a lot of it. And you know who you are. And it's not a criticism. It's just a fact. And I'll point out certain things that he's done, not even on policy, just in terms of how he treats people. So I get caught up on this. I'll say to our friends, many of whom are working men and women, disproportionately men, I'll say, you know, if you don't pay a contractor, if you don't pay someone for the work they did, and then say, listen, well, take me to court. I'll give you 10 cents on the dollar. I said, we're, we're big into loyalty in the community I grew up in. Loyalty? Donald Trump? He doesn't care about people. I mean, and, and his face. I mean, he totally disdains them. He looks down. What do you mean disdains them? They love him. I know, and it's, it's hard to, you know, when he says, I love you, and he says, I'm one of you. And I watched this all through the building of Trump Tower. You said, glad hand with the guys in the field, you know, how I'm doing, you know, what do you think? This is the latest, blah, blah, blah. But he did it with disdain. He hated them. You know, we had a big party, and this is in my book, to celebrate the topping out of the building, which you always do. He didn't want to invite the men to it. He what do you mean, the men who were the people out there doing the, workers, the work? Yeah, which is what the party is for. And he said, why do I have to have them there? I, I said, what, are you kidding me? And then he said, well, can we limit it to just a foreman? I said, no, absolutely not. But that was his mindset. These people were unimportant to him. They were meaningless to him. Any redeeming qualities? No, you said before, and I didn't get a chance to answer. But, but, I, none? I, I, you know, he's he's quick study. I'll say that because he he doesn't concentrate. He doesn't have the ability to concentrate. He doesn't read. He doesn't listen. Uh, but when you finally get him to pay attention, he learns it pretty quickly. He's a quick study. He's a, he's a bright guy. He's not a genius by any stretch of the imagination. Listen, we're not legal experts, but the Weisselman, uh, Weisselberg situation. Uh, Weisselberg, the chief financial person in the Trump organization. Yes. Uh, as we speak, uh, facing 15 felony counts, criminal offenses, grand larceny, falsifying business records, fraud, et cetera. We don't know what's going to happen. How serious do you think this is 
A, for former President Donald Trump, and B, what do you think he thinks this is about? I think it's a big deal for Weisselberg, um, for sure. Um, I think Trump would like to think it's another witch hunt, but clearly he knows that he broke the law. He knows it because he did it. And, you know, he, that New York Times article a couple of years ago about how they um, how they set up this thing to avoid paying any taxes in, in, for, for the family, that was clearly a, a violation of the law, and it could have been prosecuted for that. Now, with, with this with this lying about the, uh, about the presidency and whether he won or not, to me, and I may be the only one left on earth that says this, I think he knows he lost. And this is, I, I think he knows it's all lies and he's just promoting it because that has been his success. That has worked for him. So, Finally, yeah. before I go, Barbara, if you were predicting, you know his personality well, do you believe that he, in 2024, will attempt to get the Republican nomination for president again? You know, I, I said no as a knee jerk initially, and I, I'll tell you why. I, I think that he would lose. Well, right now he would lose. And I think that he couldn't withstand another loss. He, he wouldn't be able to do it. But I'm not sure he's going to be around in 2024. I'm not sure that he's going to have, you know, he may be uh, in trouble with the government. Uh, he may, his companies may have to go bankrupt. We don't know, but that, you know, he may start losing his base. And, you know, DeSantis is picking up a lot of his. Uh, Down in Florida. Hey, Barbara, thank you. Uh, the book is called Tower of Lies. Barbara Ress is the author. She uh, knows Donald Trump pretty well, 18 years working with him. Hey, Barbara, all the best to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Steve Adubato. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by RWJ Barnabas Health. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, Wells Fargo, PSENG, Summit Health, Johnson & Johnson, NJM Insurance Group, the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities Clean Energy Program, and by ADP. Promotional support provided by Jaffe Communications, and by AM970 The Answer. I'm very grateful that I'm still here. That's me and my daughter when we went to celebrate our first anniversary. With a new kidney, I have strength. They gave me a new lease on life. I'm still going everywhere and exploring new places. Nobody thought I was going to be here. Nobody. And I look forward to getting older with my wife. That's possible now. We're transforming lives through innovative kidney treatments, living donor programs, and world-renowned care at two of New Jersey's premier hospitals. They gave me my normal life back. It's a blessing. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.